Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. Greetings and welcome, everyone. It is Friday, May 7th, 2021. It was on this day in 1864 that the Battle of the Wilderness between General Ulysses S. Grant and General Robert E. Lee during the Civil War here in the United States concluded with 17,000 Union casualties at least, and it ended with General Grant deciding that unlike other previous Union defeats under Robert E. Lee, the Union Army was going to proceed south. So rather than retreat, they went forward, even after what has been considered a defeat of the Union Army. It was also on this day in 1937 that the Golden Gate Bridge here in San Francisco was dedicated by Franklin D. Roosevelt, and it is a major landmark in the United States. And on that note, in the last few days, the Archbishop of San Francisco actually a week ago, today, issued a pastoral letter entitled, Before I Formed You in the Womb, I Knew You. It is a pastoral letter on the human dignity of the unborn, Holy Communion, and Catholics in public life. Naturally, it deals with the grave issue of abortion and the absolute evil nature of that action, that under no circumstances can we say that it is okay or in any way considered moral. But also he addresses the issue of Catholics who rather openly, maybe defiantly, or even personally disagree with that teaching. Regardless of the reason, it is a central part of our faith, the basic dignity of all human beings and the uh, basic dignity of the unborn, that all people have a right to life, and that is especially true with the unborn and the most, the most vulnerable among us are the unborn children. And the atrocity of killing them in the womb, depriving them of anything and everything they could possibly be after they're born. And Archbishop Salvatore Gudelioni addresses that and calls on Catholics who do not hold to that teaching to realize the importance of the value of all human life, and especially life in the womb, life of the unborn, and calls on Catholics to refrain from receiving Holy Communion if they rather openly, openly disagree with the Church, but he also extends it to those Catholics in public life. Now, some have asked whether or not this particular pastoral letter is specifically aimed at anyone in particular. Because when he speaks of Catholics in public life, he naturally is also referring to politicians. And here in San Francisco, our congresswoman is Nancy Pelosi, who is the Speaker of the House, who is an ardent supporter of abortion access by women. Also, given that the President of the United States, Joe Biden, is also a Catholic, 
Some have suggested that the Archbishop was also specifically aiming this pastoral letter at him because he too is a Catholic, but also one whose policies have opened up access to abortion for people in direct opposition to the teachings of the Catholic faith that he professes. However, it's important to note that he doesn't mention anyone specific in this particular letter, and that the Archbishop is putting forth a general principle and a basic tenet of the Catholic faith, but not addressing specific individual cases or individual people. I would think, and this is just me speaking here, that it is the ultimate if the shoe fits, wear it. But it is a letter that is addressed to everybody, and with regard to Catholics in public life, it could also very easily address a television or movie star or celebrity, a businessman or woman who is very prominent in the public eye, a person on social media who has a great following, addressing anyone in public life who has that influence and professes a Catholic faith that they too have an important responsibility in their role as leaders and as public figures to support the teachings of the faith that they profess. But it is especially important for public individuals to know that because of their public position, they're acting in defiance of the Catholic Church and in opposition to the Church's teaching could easily lead other people to sin and serve as an example leading other people to evil. And so in speaking of the grave evil and absolute evil of abortion, the Archbishop applies it to presenting ourselves for Holy Communion worthily and then calls especially on all Catholics and especially, especially Catholics in public life, public figures, to recognize the influence they have and that they have a particular responsibility to following church teaching in their role, lest they lead other people astray. So in in doing so, and in writing this, some people have asked the question, is the bishop politicizing a person's Catholicism? And as I just mentioned, he doesn't specifically point to or address politicians, but rather Catholics in public life. But let's take a look at that question itself. Is the bishop politicizing a person's Catholicism? My answer to that question would be no. The bishop is giving and putting forth a consistent teaching of the church that has existed since at least the second century after Christ. In a writing called the Didache, the word abortion is specifically used and is explicitly prohibited, as is infanticide. So this is not something that the church just came up with in the last few decades, or since the Supreme Court decision of Roe versus Wade. This is something that has always been a teaching of the church from the very beginning. And when you think about it, it makes sense. In the Greco-Roman world, if you remember Sparta, What was one of the practices in Sparta? Every child that was born was examined, and if there was any kind of defect, they would be left to die. And perhaps in the early decades of the church's history, that was still a practice. 
But abortion is also mentioned, that an embryo must not be killed in abortion. So this is something that the church has always taught. And of course, under the basic tenets of the fifth commandment, you shall not kill. But also under the basic faith that God is a God of life. God is the author of life. And the most precious thing we have is life. And that this is not a political issue. This is a human issue. And because it's a human issue, it becomes political, but it especially is religious with regard to what we believe about basic human dignity and the value of every human life. So this is not just a pastoral letter to Catholics or to Christians, but to all people of goodwill. And I suppose of any will. This is a universal human principle. All human life is sacred and has the right to be nurtured and the right to live. But back to the question, is the bishop politicizing a person's Catholicism, be it the president, the speaker of the house, any Catholic politician, any Catholic celebrity, is he politicizing it? Well, why are we asking if the bishop is politicizing Catholicism in our very politically charged time right now? We do see celebrities and especially politicians who will openly say, well, I am a devout Catholic or I am a practicing Catholic. And they say that as a part of who they are, that they are wanting to apply to the reason people would elect them. I am a Catholic. I have certain values that I adhere to. And so who, it is, who is it who is politicizing their Catholicism? Is it the bishop? Is it not the person themselves politicizing their own Catholicism? calling themselves a practicing or devout Catholic to ingratiate themselves to Catholic fans or Catholic voters. But they need to remember that when they say they are practicing or devout, it means something. So when they call themselves practicing or devout Catholics and then publicly advocate, or in the case of politicians, support policies that are in complete opposition to an important teaching of the Catholic Church, but also important human issue, is that not contradicting their Catholic faith? And in many cases, they'll say that they are practicing or devout as if somehow that gives them a certain authority in matters of church teaching. And sometimes people will respond accordingly. Well, so-and-so is a Catholic and they're not in favor of abortion, so it must be okay for a Catholic to be in favor of abortion or to be pro-choice or pro-abortion. But simply being a Catholic, simply calling yourself a Catholic, does not give a person authority on matters of church teaching regarding faith and morals. Holding a political position or being a celebrity of any kind does not give you authority or credibility with regard to church teaching. And this is especially so if your position is in direct opposition to church teaching. It only accentuates the fact, saying that you are saying, I am a practicing or devout Catholic, while adhering to something that is diametrically opposed to church teaching, doesn't give you any authority, but only accentuates the fact that you are in public defiance of your own faith. And so in saying, I am a 
practicing, or I am a devout Catholic, or commentators saying, well, the bishop is saying this, forgetting that so-and-so is a devout Catholic, all they are doing is accentuating the opposition that this seemingly devout Catholic has for a very fundamental tenet of their faith, that all life is sacred. Another response that many Catholics in public life would say is that, well, I am a Catholic, but I have fundamental differences with the Catholic Church on matters regarding abortion or reproductive rights, as many of them uh, will, will refer to it. And that term, fundamental differences, again, is stated as if to give what their position is a little more credence or a little more respectability. Yes, I'm Catholic, but I have fundamental differences. Well, let's keep using that word fundamental. You have fundamental differences on fundamental teachings of that faith. If something is fundamental, then you're basically saying you are not of that faith. I have a fundamental difference with the teaching of the church that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, if I am Catholic, but I fundamentally disagree with that, am I really a Catholic? I'm a Catholic, but I have fundamental differences with the bishops that the Eucharist is the body and the blood of Christ. Well, if I have fundamental differences on something that fundamental to the faith, what does that mean when I say, well, I'm a Catholic? What if one were to say, well, I'm a Democrat, but I have a fundamental difference with central political principles of the Democratic Party? Or I'm a Republican, and I have fundamental differences on matters, say, of lower taxes and smaller government. Does that make me much of a Republican? Does having fundamental differences with a fundamental tenet of the democratic principles make you much of a Democrat? You would say no. In fact, the political parties usually react very, very strongly and with great hostility to a prominent figure who calls themselves a member of that party, who in fact holds principles the exact opposite of that party. They don't take it well. So why should we have any different reaction when a Catholic says, I have fundamental differences with the church on matters of abortion or reproductive rights? Because these fundamental differences are on something that is a very fundamental teaching in our faith. And again, I'm Catholic, but I have fundamental differences. Again, all that shows is that Faith takes a back seat to everything. I have my faith, but if it's in conflict with my politics, then I'll have a fundamental difference with my faith in favor of the principles of my politics. And it is, in effect, triangulation from one's faith. We separate ourselves from our faith under certain circumstances and we forget that our faith is something that is supposed to underlie everything and inform everything we do. All our values, our attitudes, our actions. It is a complete disposition that encompasses everything that we do when we profess a faith. And we cannot triangulate ourselves from that. That's tantamount to saying, yes, I'm Catholic, but 
and then you just throw in what your butt is. But I believe it was Archbishop Fulton Sheen who once said, anyone who says, I am Catholic, but, is really saying, I am not Catholic. So to say, I am Catholic, but, I have fundamental differences with regard to the church's teaching on marriage. Well, that's what led to the breakaway of the Anglican Church from the Catholic Church. It was no longer Catholic. So for us to say, I am Catholic, but I have fundamental differences with the church's teaching on abortion because of my views on reproductive rights, as the term they call it. Another thing Catholics often like to say, and we've seen this just in the last few days, in which the White House came out with regard to the church's teaching on abortion and said that the president respectfully disagrees with the bishops on the issue of abortion. And again, what does that mean? Respectfully disagrees. Well, first of all, are we allowed to respectfully disagree anymore? I mean, you look at the climate out there in our nation, and you really wonder, is it safe to respectfully disagree? Are we permitted to respectfully disagree on anything? What if Someone were to say, I respectfully disagree on this nation's resolution regarding slavery 156 years ago. They respectfully disagree that slavery is wrong. That would be completely unacceptable in today's society. But let's make it a little more modern. I respectfully, let someone say, I respectfully disagree on the issue of equal pay for women. I respectfully disagree on the issue of climate change. I respectfully disagree on the issue of same-sex marriage, same-sex unions. I respectfully disagree on LGBTQ issues. I can go on. Are we even allowed to respectfully disagree? The answer is no. In this current climate, we'd get canceled if we express disagreement, even respectful disagreement. It's just not permitted. We are recently coming off of the pandemic, we're hopefully in the final stages of that, but early on, when some doctors respectfully disagreed with the mainstream reporting on, on the pandemic and on the COVID virus, they were taken off of YouTube. And yet at the same time, the White House simply says, well, we respectfully disagree, or the president respectfully disagrees with the bishops regarding abortion. And again, back to the previous cliche, they respectfully disagree on a fundamental issue. Bring it back to the political parties. I respectfully disagree with the Democratic Party with regard to larger government and more social programs. Well, if I respectfully disagree, that doesn't make me much of a Democrat. I respectfully disagree with the Republican Party on matters of lower taxes and smaller government. Well, that's at the heart of the GOP. So to say I respectfully disagree with the Catholic Church on the issue of abortion, that is something so fundamental to us as a people of faith. All life is sacred, especially the life of the unborn. Is it really respectful disagreement to be so public about it? If we respectfully disagreed, then perhaps we would be more inclined to keep it to ourselves. 
But the fact that someone is publicly saying, I respectfully disagree, and then supporting, as the Archbishop makes reference to in his letter, supporting policies that are contrary to the faith that they profess, that's not respectful disagreement. That's public defiance. And so, what are people's solution when we see Catholics fundamentally disagreeing, respectfully disagreeing, and yet presenting themselves for communion? Some want to take it a step further. Some have even asked, shouldn't they be excommunicated? Which I find interesting because that seems to fit in well with the cancel culture. It's like the cancel culture has almost groomed us to immediately think of excommunication and refusal of communion. In other words, canceling a Catholic who was not in line with church teaching through excommunication. Well, excommunication is more of a pastoral discipline. In St. Paul's first letter to Timothy, toward the end of, I believe, his first chapter of his first letter to Timothy, he speaks of someone who's in opposition to the church, and he says, I have turned him over to Satan for his own good. And the idea behind that is he's expelled him from the church. Outside the church, you're exposing them to Satan. But it's in the hopes that they realize that deprivation of no longer being a part of the community of faith and desire to come back. It's not just leaving them flailing out into the wind and condemning them to hell. Excommunication is also kind of an acknowledgement, a verifying of something that already is. A person who has openly left the church or openly uh, defies or ignores or acts in contrary to church teaching by their actions has, have left the church, and the church basically acknowledges that. But it is always open to receiving the person back. And that is what the Archbishop of San Francisco invites people to do in his letter, where he says, look at the evil you're perpetrating, square in the face, admit it, accept it for what it is, and turn away from it. Many of your former colleagues have done this and are finding peace and are repairing their lives by revealing the horrors of the abortion industry from the inside out. He says in another place, turn back to faith and its tenets, and we are ready to welcome you with open arms. So the whole discussion of excommunication must be as a last resort. And even as a last resort, the hope is always that in that separation from the church, it will result in that feeling of deprivation, of being cut off from the Eucharist, and a desire to return, always leading to conversion, and that the church is ready and waiting with open arms to receive people back. But excommunication is not, therefore, the same as cancel culture. You know, cancel culture silences and ostracizes people. Excommunication is pastoral. It's pastoral, always with a desire that the person may come to understand the error of their ways and return to the church, inviting them to return to proper Catholic morals and proper Catholic practice so that they can, we hope, return to full communion and return to the church sacramentally. With the question of refusing communion, I found it interesting, and appreciate at least, the angle that the Archbishop takes in this. Because with regard to the Eucharist, he doesn't place it on the ministers necessarily to refuse. 
he puts it on the individual. He quotes St. Paul in the letter to the Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, when he says, if we eat and drink the body and blood of the Lord unworthily, we eat and drink a judgment on ourselves. In other words, it's our responsibility to make sure we are receiving this sacrament worthily. Yes, the ministers have a role, but ultimately it's on us, the faithful, to examine our conscience and make sure that if we are in any grave sin or guilty of any grave error that leads ourselves or others to sin, that we have recourse to the sacrament of confession and conversion before we receive the Eucharist. And that we, if, if we are in a position where we publicly advocate for abortion, that we refrain from receiving communion and do not present ourselves for Holy Communion. Because when all is said and done, when Paul says we eat and drink a judgment on ourselves, and again, defiantly rejecting church teaching and publicly advocating the opposite, in participating in the action in any way, and then going to communion, receiving the Eucharist unworthily, we eat and drink a judgment on ourselves. In other words, it is a detriment to our soul. We put our own souls in danger. We put our own salvation at risk. And that is something very real. And that is a very real possibility that I am not sure the average person truly appreciates. Because very easily, what would someone say? Well, I respectfully disagree, or I have a fundamental disagreement that this puts my soul in jeopardy. I don't personally think it's a detriment. Which, again, reduces faith to something I've referred to in the past, reduces faith to nothing more than wishful thinking and imaginary friends. I and mean, what if I were to say, I don't think smoking is a detriment to my health. That doesn't make it so. Makes me extremely naive. But I could be smoking three packs a day and thinking, oh, this is perfectly healthy. It's not harming my soul, or not harming my body, not harming my lungs, not harming my health. That's nothing more than wishful thinking because you know that it does. A pregnant woman smoking or drinking while expecting her child Oh, I don't think it's going to harm the child in any way. That's just a myth. I respectfully disagree that smoking and drinking while pregnant does damage to the unborn child. Well, again, that's wishful thinking. That's not the reality. And so to say that receiving the body and blood of Christ while openly defying and promoting something that is the exact opposite of the church's teaching on the value of human life, to say, I don't believe that's a detriment to my soul, is an example of how, for many Catholics, the faith is nothing more than wishful thinking, and God is nothing more than imaginary friend. The faith is nothing more than something that makes me feel good and affirmed, regardless of what I do, with no standards, no principles, and God is someone who's just going to love me no matter what I do, and accept me no matter what. Because God is all-loving, all-forgiving, all-natural, less-filling, all-merciful, you name it. But we forget the responsibility we have as people who profess this faith. 
And so I admire the Archbishop for coming out at this particular time with so much going on in our nation. Some might ask, why is he bringing this up now? Well, these issues would not even be there if there was not life. People in, in talking about politicians will say, well, there are more issues than that. There are other issues on the shelf, but there are no issues, period, if there isn't life. Life is the shelf. We're a nation that values rights. In our, de in our Declaration of Independence, it says, we have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It does not say we have a right to pursue happiness, liberty, and life, or liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and life. The first right mentioned, an inalienable right endowed by the Creator, is the right to life, then liberty, then the pursuit of happiness. Without life, there are no other rights. Without life, there are no other issues. Without life, there are no other crises. Without life, there's nothing. And that is fundamental to us as a nation, and that is fundamental to us as a faith. And the Archbishop, in his role as a pastor and a shepherd of souls, is acknowledging many, many different value systems out there that is proving to be a very strong influence on many people. And he needed to get that message out there and call those in public life to task because by the very fact that they are public figures, people vote for them, people follow them on social media, people are fans of them, they are an example. And by that celebrity, by the fact that they are a public figure, they have the real potential to have a positive and a negative impact on those who look to them as public figures. And if they are Catholic public figures, they have especially a responsibility to express and emulate the values of the faith they claim to profess, not to force a faith on anyone else, but the value system can be promoted as an example by their leadership or they can be a great detriment and lead many people to sin. So I thank you for listening to me and these thoughts on the Archbishop's pastoral letter. I encourage you to read the pastoral letter. It can be found on the website of the Archdiocese of San Francisco here in California. Take your time with it. Read it reflectively. And if you are a Catholic, let it be a reminder to you of a very basic value of our faith, that all life is sacred, that all human life is created in the image and likeness of God. If you are not a Catholic, see it as a human issue. We abolished slavery in this country because of the human issue, the humanity of it, even though it was very much a Christian movement. Abortion, like slavery, goes beyond faith goes beyond politics. It strikes at the very heart of who God created us to be as human beings. And we are called to value all human life, to present ourselves worthily when we receive that body and blood of Christ as Catholics and as human beings and especially as Catholics. When we are people in the public eye, 
we must not be a detriment to that faith that we claim to profess. Because if we profess it and then behave the exact opposite, then we are doing nothing more than paying lip service to the faith. We are not professing it. So pray for our fellow Catholics in public life. Pray especially for those who openly and defiantly advocate for abortion, something directly opposed to the faith that they profess. Pray for their conversion, because I can imagine if these public figures suddenly had a public change of heart and a public change in their leadership to advocate not for the destruction of innocent human life in the womb, but for their protection, there is where they will see a wave occur in their leadership. There is where they will be remembered, not for what they advocated before, contrary to their faith and contrary to a basic human value, but the shockwave that will occur when they change, when they convert, when they suddenly and thoroughly and honestly and substantially advocate for the right of the unborn to live. That's how they will be remembered. So they have a real opportunity here. They will be remembered for their change of heart more than the pro-life public servants are now. They will be remembered for that change of heart. And to a politician, that could be something very valuable because all leaders want to leave behind a legacy. They want to be remembered. And that is something that they will be remembered for, is for their conversion, their change of heart. They're changing from a focus on death to a focus on life. And so we thank Archbishop Cotillione and other bishops who continue to openly, openly guide their flock and guide all humanity in the direction of the faith. But especially we thank them for challenging all of us to be true to the faith we claim to profess and to remember those in the public eye, the responsibility they have by virtue of their celebrity and their role of leadership and responsibility, that they will be held responsible for the souls they lead astray. But just imagine the impact you will have by a change of heart and conversion, and how many souls will you lead back by just that action alone? So thanks again for joining me today. It's a lot to think of. It's a lot to consider. I hope you have a chance to read the pastoral letter and reflect upon it, share it with uh, those you know and love, and let's pray for all of us that as challenging as it is to live up to the standards that Christ has given us of his, as his followers, we know that with his grace, and especially the grace of the Eucharist, that can come about. So thank you for listening, and with any luck, I'll talk to you again soon.